Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. Ginny, we have a movie about movies today. Don't we enjoy a nice movie about movies? Do you? I do. Yes, I mean, it's a very popular theme. They like to pat themselves off the back quite a bit. They do, and they also like to acknowledge that people within their industry are generally quite terrible. terrible. (laughs) Which is exactly what we're dealing with in this movie, because what we're talking about today is Vincente Minnelli's The Bad and the Beautiful from 1952. It is about a movie producer who basically alienates everybody he comes across because of his own selfish selfishness. He likes to do things his way. He gets what he wants, no matter the cost, and he therefore has no friends. This is the moral, the big moral (laughs) of the bad and the beautiful. But I really like movies like this. I like movies about making movies. I certainly like movies about making movies in old Hollywood because it's just a completely different time. Yeah. Not just, obviously, you know, the contract plays, the factory kind of manufacture of movies it builds better stories than than making movies now where it's kind of just like it might just be you find a a young upstart scriptwriter from somewhere and you know he gets a break it's not like that there's machinations going on in old hollywood because generally a lot of these movie producers are probably very similar to Kirk Douglas in this movie. I'm led to believe this is a pretty somewhat, well, somewhat accurate, um, not necessarily a biopic, but Kirk Douglas in this movie is basically supposed to be David O. Selznick. Ah, okay. Um, To the point where I think I read um, that Selznick got word of this movie obviously being made and kind of what it was about, and and some of his people kind of watch it and, you know, and, and keep an eye on it to see if there was anything in there that they, that he would have to sue them for. Ooh. Apparently there wasn't. Apparently it wasn't obvious enough. It wasn't okay. kind of libelous enough. It was enough. subtle enough, yeah. Um, but it, it seems to be, I think, mainly from the kind of Kirk Douglas having the kind of famous father who was head of his studio, Shields Pictures, that it is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kind of having that ghost almost hang over him for the entire movie, which is, is what kind of Kirk Douglas has to deal with, I suppose, isn't it? It's kind of living up to his own legacy and his own family's legacy. This is why he's so kind of stubborn. He's so kind of... He does everything... His own way, he doesn't really like to take advice. Yeah. Because he's too self focused. Apparently, a lot of this comes from David O. Selznick. So, now I thought that was quite interesting because I don't really know much about the background of Selznick. And he has obviously made, you know, produced some wonderful, wonderful movies, some very, very famous movies, probably most famously Gone with the Wind. 
Um, which is ironic, really, given the fact that isn't it isn't in not in in this movie that you know Kirk Douglas, um, Jonathan Shields, these characters' name in this movie isn't his like failed movie, some sort of civil war movie, and something like that. Yeah, Gone with the Wind is Selznick's <laughs> most mm-hmm. famous movie, being yeah. a civil war movie. It's kind of a nice. Um, juxtaposition there but yes I, I'm, I'm quite excited to talk about this movie i think it's a uniquely structured movie a brilliantly acted movie and just one of these kind of things that i feel i enjoy watching it feels almost like old hollywood insight old hollywood well, yeah. education. it's like uh you know very similar to things like um uh, Sunset Boulevard and and yes. all about East and singing in the rain. This kind of behind the scenes look at, um, yeah, you know, singing the in the rain. Obviously, quite things. a pleasant, yes. story. <laughs> yeah, the others oh, not so much. Yes, not so much. It's the darker side of, of you know movie making and and the Hollywood kind of machine. So, but the interesting yeah. side, full of gray characters, full of kind of nastiness full of machinations like we said janine we do have to do one thing before we get into the main discussion on the bad and the beautiful low what is that we have to say a huge thank you to the it's a wonderful podcast patrons we do because every week on an episode of one of the shows we give them all a wonderful thank you because it is the least they all deserve for being delightful people that they are if you would like to join the patreon join them uh, go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one find the tier that's right for you we cannot do what we do without the generous support of our wonderful patrons there's also a donation link in the description of this episode as well um if you would like to support us in that way we would be most grateful janine everybody gets these thank yous no matter what tier you are on and we start of course by saying a big thank you to marie zambino and thank you adam witt thank you to michael smith thank you maxwell haddad thank you amber coates thank you abby freel Thank you to Janine's brother, Justin, 90s Comics Box. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you, Tina Farrow. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Steve, Movie Fenobi. Thank you, Samir Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, John Mariano. Thank you to Carla Feast. Thank you to the great Ken Knapsack. Thank you to Tom and Kimber of the Odd Shape Channel. Thank you, Eric Garcia. And thank you, of course, to Billy Pollahan. Yes. Applause. Yes, though, Janine, the bad and the beautiful general thoughts. Are we enjoying the nasty side of Hollywood? Uh, Yes. And I know you talked a little bit about the structure. I really liked the structure of this film. Um, The opening of it to kind of the sat down with our three kind of characters. Yeah, it opens at the end almost, doesn't it? Yes, and then kind of going through each of their stories. So I really was into kind of that that vibe because we open with each one of them getting contacted by Jonathan Shields and each one of them kind of dismissing his call. Uh, so then we kind of get into what that's about when they're all sat down and and we kind of get to go to this flashback with each of them. So I, I really like yeah. that structure. Like we're wondering, aren't we, for those first kind of five minutes, what why everybody what this man would have done? Yeah, 
Yeah. What's he done that's so horrible? What's he done to cause Dick Powell to tell him to drop dead? Once yeah. we find out what he's done to Dick Powell in this movie, it's, it's somewhat, somewhat understandable why he would uh, tell him to drop dead and, you know, go to hell and all these kind of things. That nobody in this movie likes Jonathan Shields. Nobody in this movie likes Kirk Douglas. I think, I mean, this movie is absolutely stacked for a cast as well. We have Lana Turner in there. We have Kirk Douglas. We have Dick Powell, like I said. We have Barry Sullivan. We have Walter Pigeon. We have Gloria Graham. In Gloria Graham in this movie, I mean, we'll get to it because I think we should probably talk about this movie going through its structure, given the fact that it's basically, it, it's almost structured like an anthology movie where you have your kind of central thing going on, i.e. this director, star, and actor kind of going to a a producer's office who, yeah. ha who has had... A director, star, and writer. Writer. A, yes, a director, star, and writer who are going to this producer's office who has had a phone call from Jonathan Shields yes. who wants to make another movie, but nobody wants to make a movie with him. And we and yes, like you said, we basically learn why each of these three individuals never want to see him ever again. <laughs> yeah. Um, we start with the director, played by Barry Sullivan, Fred, his name is, who who the first time he ever meets Kirk Douglas is at Kirk Douglas's father's, father's funeral. Father's funeral, yeah. And when he just makes fun of his dead father, this is yeah. He's like me. heckling. He's heckling every time the priest or preacher says something, you know, about him. He kind of like has a little smarmy comeback. He's like the man who shaped, who helped to shape our great motion picture industry. <clears throat> helped to almost destroy it. Yeah, <laughs> basically what you get here. He's just stood right next to Kirk Douglas, who's really teary eyed in this scene. Yeah, so then he kind of sees how emotional Kirk Douglas is getting, and he's like, "Oh, whoops! Oh. I better stop. Sorry, uh, I didn't yes. realize who who I who I was talking to here." Yes, and then it, it turns out Kirk Douglas, all the people, and there seemed like to be a, a several people in attendance of this funeral. Yeah, it turns out Kirk Douglas had to pay people to show up at, to the funeral, so people are just lining up to get it's paid eleven dollars to to just make it look like he had a lot of people there. Um, it's all so staged. Everything's yes. act. Everything's so fake. Fred just feels very bad that, you know, this he guy's does. having to pay people. Not only is he having to pay people to go to his father's funeral, but also um, him just, he felt bad for, like, heckling. He does. So, so he, he goes to he goes to Kirk Douglas's house and kind of apologizes to him for being kind of terrible at this funeral and they get to talking and realize that you know he's looking for a director's job he's been directing or assistant directing on on poverty row doing really cheapy westerns and things like this yeah um he wants more and kirk douglas is is kind of desperate for money at this point as well because i think we learned that had his father died the year prior he would have had loads of money and yeah. his father was just working on an working on some sort of investment that seemed like it would be successful 
To which Kirk Douglas says if he would have died the year after, he would also have loads of money. So yeah. he's kind of... the timing was... Yes, not... the timing is very off. They're both looking for work and they kind of seem to just need each other yeah. at this point. Um, you get your nice scenes of walking around studio lots and talking about different scripts. I think it's a movie lover's movie, this really, isn't it? Because you get all so many conversations of just sitting, working through changes to how, we, how are we going to do this shot? How are we going to do this? Ideas how are we going to write it? For sets and, yeah. It's really, really interesting. And you kind of get, it's almost a semi-montage, I think, yeah. of them two kind of working, working them their way up and working their way up. And it seems quite genial. I mean, Kirk Douglas, to be fair to him, in this movie, this movie entirely, really, is quite a bit, I, I suppose, less explosive than usual. We often think of Kirk Douglas, and rightfully so, I think, as a very explosive actor. Somebody yeah, I mean, who, we do get some scenes like that, but yeah, for the most part, the he odd is. one, yes. But but I'm talking like usually he's, Generally, he's yeah. kind of you know gritting his teeth all the time. He's got some sort of really glaring stare going on, and then he will just explode into this fireball of energy. Yeah. He's not really like that in this movie. He's quite a bit quieter. He's quite romantically charming sometimes. Oh, yes. Like, I mean, there's a whole very cute scene where he helps Fred propose to his girl. Yeah. Um, they're kind of this fun little threesome of friends, and um, they kind of talk about how they crash fancy parties together and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and they helped him kind of uh, get with their their kind of first producer yeah um because uh he decides to gamble <laughs> uh so he goes and everyone pawns their watches and things to to help him get money to gamble and he makes you want to see them succeed yes so they're like this little kind of group and, and they really want to like help him to succeed because you know he's very much charming and explaining kind of the dream he has um so he goes and gambles and ends up losing like six thousand dollars and smiling about it, but Which it's gotten him in, yes, them, yes, but it's, it's gotten him an in with this producer. So he kind of talks his way into, well, you know, if you hire me, you know, I can work off, you know, what I owe you. You know, I yeah. can get you scripts, I can get you, you know, the pictures that you want, I can, you know, you know, do all of this for you and uh, you know, pay off my debt. So the producer agrees, and now he's got steady work for him and Fred and, and Fred's girl as, like, the receptionist. So then, yes, we get this very cute scene where he got a ring for them, and he kind of asks, you know, Fred, well, you know, when are you going to pop the question? I've got a ring here for you. And it's just a really kind of cute scene of, um, yeah. um, you know, showing him as, like, a true friend. And, you know, this, this is probably the sweetest he was in the whole movie, I think. Yeah, this kind of first little story with Fred. I mean, the struggles that they have because you know the the producer they're working for, um, he, he likes things done on budget, very, very on, very, very tightly on budget. 
Yeah. Well, he does not like to waste his money, which is obviously a struggle. You know, you, you're having to do things that aren't perfect sometimes, which as creatives, which, uh, you know, these these guys are this, you know, Kirk, Kirk Douglas is a creative producer in this movie. He is not a, a businessman producer. He is a very much he is very much a a, a story focused a, a a movie making focused producer. Yeah, he's not the business side of it. Obviously, Fred, the director, wants to have these kind of creative inputs. Yeah. They can only go so far because of how much money they're being allowed to have. Yeah, it's a struggle. It causes some strife. It causes some tension between everybody and uh well yeah i mean what ends up happening is basically a breakdown of the seemingly good-natured relationship between jonathan shields kirk douglas and, and and barry sullivan fred the director it's i suppose it's the first instance we see of what will what will become clearer as we get on in the rest of the movie as to really just kind of how I'm really in this for myself, Kirk Douglas is in this movie. Yeah. Um it's it's kind of a harsh reality check, I suppose. Or, or, or really, whether it's a harsh reality check or not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether that's the correct term to use. It's more of a case of you wish they would have dealt with this better. You wish they would have. Yes, because you, you the wish thing they is, would have been together. Yes, because yes, because you saw how close they were. You saw them kind of building and growing this whole kind of thing together. Um, and the breaking point happens when, you know, Fred has told him about, he brought this, the script to him, the story to him that he was really passionate about. He called it his baby. Yeah. And he's like, I want to make this with you. I want to direct this. You know, you produce it. This is going to be our thing. This is like some, a script I'm really passionate about. Jonathan, let's make it. And then Jonathan takes the script and gives it to a more kind of known, uh, you know, uh, more kind of important director yes and and leaves fred out in the cold and the director's giving him all these accolades about oh you know you're you're a producer who thinks like a director for you to bring me such a great story and he kind of takes all the credit for this yeah story right in front of fred and you know fred's like what the hell so basically that's yes, kind but... of how the breakdown of their kind of whole relationship happens and then he goes on to win an oscar for that he does yes script i and think that... there's, there's kind of a i suppose <laughs> not not maltese falcon level motif of an oscar in this movie i suppose that would be a bit of an embellishment but i think the the statuette of an Oscar that is used in this movie. They get they have Oscar they have little, statuettes yeah. mm -hmm. in this movie. I think there's a there's a message at the end. Yeah, thanking the Academy. The Academy <laughs> yeah. For the use of them. But there's there's a presence of that Oscar in 
throughout the entire movie, particularly when it comes to Fred, because of this situation when when we see or when we when we go back into say the present day they're all sat in the you know in that producer's office waiting for this phone call yeah. from Jonathan Shields there's like five oscars on the side you know yeah. on display and Fred's constantly kind of looking at them and you know moving them around and really you know, it's playing on his mind a lot. Yeah. We and like his flashback kind of zooms into Why? that one Oscar and zooms out of it when we come back to the kind of present yeah. day. Um, but yeah, and then the producer who's kind of trying to convince them to come back and work with Jonathan, you know, after each one of these flashbacks, he gets kind of this sarcastic kind of, you know, listing of of their accomplishments like after you worked with jonathan you know you became this great director you know he opened doors for you and gave you opportunities and now you've gone on to be one of the best directors in the field and won two or three oscars of your own and you know but oh you know poor you <laughs> poor which, you which should say i but i can understand why you wouldn't want to work with jonathan again so it's like every it is. It every is. flashback you see what jonathan did to this person but then they've gone on to have this great career because of kind of working with Jonathan and what they, they have to do with him. And they go beyond him and do great things. But the producer trying to convince them throws in their face that, well, you know, you got you got where you are now because, you know, Jonathan gave you that start. So but, you know. I can understand why you wouldn't want to work with him again. So it's like this reverse psychology. He's trying to kind of pull in all of them. It is, but this is only because Walter Pigeon wants what he wants. Want, he wants to make this movie because he wants all the money and all this yeah. himself as well. He wants to display another Oscar on his wall. You know, he, yes. he, he wants this. So, of course, he would tell Fred, oh, look, you've become a, a great director. Fred should just bite back in his face, but he stole my Oscar from me. The first Oscar, my first big movie. What a great story that would have been, Walter Pigeon. Yeah. You know, there's that. There is that that unspoken back and forth. I think between you know Walter Pigeon and these three, yeah, that are very just like, yes, you make a fair point. But that's not the point I'm making, Walter. You yeah. know, I don't like him. Look at what he did that was terrible. Oh, it's fine. Look at who you are now. I don't care who I am now, Walter. He's the, the point. The point is, he totally screwed me over. Like he, we were partners, and he just left me out in the cold. Yes, I was able to kind of make my own way after, you know the successes I had with him, but it's not going to take away the personal effect he had on me in terms of our relationship, you know? Yeah. And if you think that selling someone's script to another director when you had a friendship bond is bad, just wait until you hear what he does with Lana Turner, who we get next, don't we, in a flash? Yeah. Yes. Lana Turner, who's really quite good in this movie, we like Lana Turner. Apparently, Lana Turner was quite a nervous actor. For all I can, um, for all I hear about her, that she had to like low on confidence. Oh, had to be really? kind of almost told she was better than she thought she was to be able to actually be 
good on screen because she is good on screen. She's always good on screen whenever Mm -hmm. I've seen her in anything. But yes, you think that, um, you know, betraying your friend is one thing. I think in in this story, in this flashback, don't we? We we get kind of, yeah, it's the old story of movie producer takes a liking to his lead star who he wants to throw in things, finds from somewhere, casts her, and then immediately starts a romantic relationship with her just to act like a complete unspoken word. I'm going to say that. I don't like to. I like like to keep it clean, Janine, on on the show. (laughs) I do. Yes, yes. Just about terrible for the entirety of their relationship. (laughs) And, um... And and leave her out in the cold, basically, by the end of it. It's really sad. Well, it's yeah, like very, he very goes to great story. lengths. He goes to great lengths to kind of give her a shot because she's the daughter of this well known director who's died. Yes. And um, like she has her kind of lingering on an item as well. She sees kind of like this this kind of crude sketch of a devil. Yeah. And she's kind of looking at it. And uh, it's from a night when Jonathan uh, went, and I think was it Fred? Oh no, it was it was um, who who did he go with? It was him and someone when? else when they go to the director's house after he he has died? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea. Am I misremembering something in the movie? When they go to the house and he takes the picture off the wall and they they first meet. Lana Turner, but they don't see her because she's up in the. In, in the it might be. It might be Fred. It might be Fred. Um, so they go to the to the director's house. They find out he's died, and so they kind of go to his house, and uh, he has all these. There's all these sketches on the wall, and one of them is a devil, and it's supposed to be this drawing of him because he was kind of a terrible person, like a great director, but you yeah. know, people knew him to be pretty terrible. So he cuts out this sketch and takes it with him. And they're kind of bad mouthing the director. And then they hear a voice kind of say, Oh yeah, you know, he was kind of the worst and it's 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 his daughter. And they don't yeah. see her. They kind of have this kind of quippy relation like kind of exchange with her. And then she kind of breaks out into tears and they, you know, Kirk Douglas kind of has a moment where he maybe wants to go back and and see if she's okay, but then he ends up leaving. So he's kind of now intrigued with her. He is. I did read as well that apparently Kirk Douglas himself was was rather interested in Lana Turner during this movie, but Lana Turner was in a relationship at the time, and Kirk Douglas had to be quite careful. Oh, apparently really? around the set, and it was just all like, mm, I better not say anything or make anything too obvious because it, her boyfriend's constantly here, you know. Oh, wow, okay, apparently That's so, a... apparently oh. so, anyway. Oh, you okay. don't, you, no, you don't, you don't tend to think of, I don't tend to think of Kirk Douglas as massively romantic, anyway. No, I've never pictured him as a big romantic lead. But I think he does 
quite a really charming job well, in this in movie this, in this yes. middle segment he, he has to charm these people to get them to kind of do what he wants and, and make them feel comfortable and make them feel cared about and and that's what he does with her so he kind of seeks her out and he gives her like a, a small role and then he kind of sees that she's very much like her father. She's a bit of a drunk. She kind of, yeah. you know, sleeps around a little bit. And it is a kind sad of is just, story. Yes, and is just kind of in this very depressive state in, in kind of how her father treated her, trying to live up to expectations of her father, trying to live up to, you know, what people knew of him in the industry. And so she kind of puts all this kind of pressure on herself and just kind of doesn't really live up to her potential. I mean, there's an and, awful lot of that in the entire movie, really, isn't there? Living up to potential, living up to legacy yeah. is a massive, massive theme of this movie. It's an idea that really, I think it can play on anyone. You know, you don't have to be a somewhat successful creative, you know, for, for that to play on you. It can play on anybody. Living up to what came before is... Yeah can haunt people for for their entire lives um it's what makes i mean this movie is it's almost low-key sad but it's yeah. really really quite it's it's certainly melodramatic you would certainly call this a heavy melodrama yeah because you know it is it is an emotional drama but it's not necessarily a kind of a bleak depressing movie it's an intriguing movie. It's, I mean, it's not really got, you, you wouldn't call it one of the, one of the noir type Hollywood movie making movies. You know, like a Sunset Boulevard obviously is quite noirish. Yeah. I don't think this is necessarily noirish. There's nothing, yes, there's grey characters going on, but there's nothing massively kind of criminal or there's no big huge conspiracy it's basically just one person being being terrible white selfish <laughs> yeah. for the entire movie so it's really it's more of a it's a, it's a melodramatic character play yeah. really, more than anything else um, that's where the intrigue comes. It's certainly far from being a boring movie, far from being a, a, a dull movie. I really yeah. was intrigued by this movie. I really was quite gripped by this movie. Um, probably because it's a, it's a movie lover's movie about movie making. But yeah. I think there's an awful lot of interesting themes and, and kind of questions it's asking about about legacy about kind of selfishness about kind of what it takes to be successful you know and is it really is it worth, worth it? kind of what is it, it worth yeah it? Is, it, is it really worth what what comes out of it because yeah all these people um while you know kind of crossing paths with jonathan has has led them to successful careers beyond him you know would they have had that without him and without kind of what he did to them, you know, yeah, what he did I mean, to them and what he did for them. So it's a kind of conflict that they kind of have to all reconcile. Um, like, would they be where they are now, very successful, yeah. had they not worked with him? And, these and had are the they not kind of ended their their ties with him when they did? 
you know, now having this drive that they potentially got from working with him, you know? Yeah, and these are the points that Walter Pigeon's making in the movie. You know, it's it's interesting to me as well that Vincente Minnelli directed this movie. I mean, he, he, he's, he's obviously a massive name yeah. director, but you would think that somebody like that goes through these similar thought processes it's, it's it must be quite a cathartic experience to direct a movie like this that's so scathing at times on its own industry it it must be really quite interesting i mean it's brilliantly directed i think it's really smoothly told it's it's really really well paced out yeah Vincente Minnelli's a great director, but, you know, considering he's mostly known for musicals, it's quite a change, you know, to, to do something like this, to do a fairly dark movie yeah, like this, that is, like I said, quite scathing on its own industry. You can see why people in Selznick's camp would have been looking at it going, should we, should we be concerned here? Yeah. Possibly. I don't know. But yes, um, Lana Turner and Kirk Douglas's relationship in this movie, this, uh, this is, this is, this is an unfortunate situation that ends up. Yeah. So she, you know, she, uh, kind of, he, he kind of begs her to do a screen test and she's like, no, I'm no good you know you're just gonna waste film and he's like no i want to see you do this like i believe in you you can do this you know so she goes for it she does the screen test and then she kind of overhears them all talking about how terrible and stiff and boring she is to watch yeah um and so she thinks she didn't get it but then kirk douglas is like no you got it you got the part like even though yes that screen test wasn't good you know you had people watching you and nothing else so that's a star right there so we can work with that so then you know she shields touch yes so she is very nervous and she doesn't show up kind of for her first day on set and so they talk about replacing her because she's just very much not feeling confident so he like actually takes time to work with her and 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 understand her and she kind of falls for him and she's already kind of like marry me marry me and kind of all in this days yes, it's very quick <laughs> yes and he, he you know he he's not outright kind of uh you know giving her what she wants but he's very much doing what he needs to do to kind of build her up and, yes. and get her to do what he needs her to do um so you know ultimately in working with her you know we get kind of this montage of them kind of working through it and having these little kind of romantic moments and uh ultimately he makes her into this really great actress and she has this final kind of scene where she has to cry and be very emotional and they kind of show everyone behind the scenes kind of watching it and yeah. she's just kind of has everyone awestruck and you know she ends up kind of ha having this big kind of star moment and everyone's celebrating but she wants to celebrate with him so she goes to his house and and he kind of tells her to leave because you know after he's made a movie he's just gets in these dark moods about you know 
was it enough? And he just can't, he can't enjoy it. And, and so he's trying to get her to leave and he's like, just go, you know, enjoy your, your flowers and enjoy, you know, being celebrated. I can't celebrate with you. Cause I just can't, you know, deal with how I feel after making the movie. And then here That's comes not this, why he wants yes, her to go. <laughs> because then here comes this gorgeous woman on the stairwell. Oh, Hey, you know <laughs> come back your business, upstairs your business and i'm company so your business is done because the movie's over so yes. he was just trying to get rid of her so he could be with this other lady and so obviously um you know that doesn't go over well so this is kind of where we do get our explosive kirk douglas yes a little bit yes we do um we also get a, a quite intense scene of Lana Turner doing some of the most erratic driving I think I've ever seen any actor do any time ever on screen ever yeah because when she's absolutely pacing it through this rain <laughs> after finding out you know that Kurt Douglas has, has been kind of sleeping around shall we say um betraying her trust at this point as well I suppose um she really does, you know, fly out of this place in this car. Yeah. It's horrific weather. Um, and it's 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 dangerous. You feel like Lana Turner's gonna career off a bridge. I know. She's just like, like going that. crazy and screaming, blood curdling screams and it's horrible. Um, but the way he kind of like, you know, before she can even say a word, he just grabs her and like tries to kind of like i don't know stop her from judging him before she can even get a word out yeah so he grabs he's all her very and... focused on himself this yeah, is right so he grabs her and he's shaking her and he's like did i you know promise you anything to you like you think you know me and you think you know what i want you know sometimes i want something like this other girl and you know i'm not this perfect person and da, da, da. like he just kind of tries to absolve himself you know, before she can even judge him in any kind of way. So he yeah. kind of grabs her and shakes her and yelling all of these things at her to kind of, um, you know, just not even giving her a chance to really react. And so then she kind of, and then he tells her just to get out, get out. So then she actually yeah, goes out and she's driving in the rain and it's kind of this very intense, crazy thing. And that's kind of from where her story ends with him. Yeah. And then if you think that was bad... <laughs> <laughs> Just wait until you hear what he does to Dick Powell. Yeah. That's because we get that now. I think Dick Powell's flashback is is my favorite of the three. Yeah. Um, I think it's the it's the I don't know. I think there's something particularly magnetic about what Gloria Graham's doing in this particular flashback. Gloria Graham's playing Dick Powell's wife in this flashback with a ridiculous southern bell accent this, yeah. this weird coming out of gloria graham gloria graham won the best supporting actress oscar for this role really it was about nine minutes of screen time yes i was like well, that, i don't know oh, i think it held a record for the long for a long 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 time of the Shortest, shortest performance to win um, that Oscar. Wow. Um, I can't remember what what beat it now, but I'm sure I'm 
sure I read that it held the record for a long time. But I think there really is something very, very scene-stealing about Gloria Graham in that particular segment. Because she does kind of... I don't know. It, she kind of shouts her way, but doesn't shout. She just kind of exclaims her way into your hearts, I suppose, doesn't she? She, yeah. she kind of just, whenever she turns up in a scene, she's giving it kind of, oh, what's this magnificent thing going on here? Oh, look, I'm on the set of Hollywood. Oh, look, I've bought a nice coat. And it's just like... Dick Powell's sat there going, I really just want to work. I want to write the script. And she's doing everything possible. To distract and interrupt me. To interrupt Sitting me, on yes. my lap and giving me kisses. And, you know, it's a very sweet relationship they have. But also, yeah, she is very much. A, they set her up to be very much a distraction. Which is really, really quite unfortunate. Um because she is the she is the crux of that final flashback segment. Yeah. Dick Powell's giving quite a quite a quiet performance, really. I mean, this is certainly the oldest I've seen Dick Powell in a movie. Mm -hmm. Um I'm most used to seeing him in early, in the early thirties. So early early to mid thirties. Um Murder My Sweet is also a good noir with, with Dick Powell in it. That's his his Philip Marlowe, you know, like Bogart's most yeah. famously Philip Marlowe, but Dick Powell's also a pretty good Philip Marlowe. Okay. You murder my sweet, and I th I think he's really quite good in this movie as well. I find him a very likable actor. Yeah, um, and he is this he's this novelist who Kirk Douglas wants to make. The movie right, of screenplay, this, yeah, yeah of, mm -hmm. of this of this best-selling novel of his. He wants him to write the screenplay. He invites him out to Hollywood. Um, he takes him up on the offer because he's, you know, Dick Powell's convinced I'm not going to write this screenplay. But Kirk Douglas charms him to hell. He charms him, Gloria yeah. Graham to hell. And they end up staying there. Gloria Green still doing a lot of distracting. Yeah, so he sees he's got nothing done um, with her there. So then he's like, I'm going to take him up to this cabin and we're going to write. And, and they um, do. I'm, and they yes. seem to have a very pleasant time with each other. Yes. So he asks his actor friend to, you know, spend some time with the wife. To yes, kind of... we've not even talked about Gaucho, have we? Gilbert Roland. Gilbert yes, Roland's no. a great supporting actor. We, all, we, we like it when Gilbert yeah. Roland shows up. He's all, he's usually always playing one of the kind of... Think of the massive female movie stars of the 30s. Gilbert Roland's always playing their kind of foppish romantic interest. Mm who's completely overpowered by them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Gilbert Rowland's typecast nature. Um, but I think he's, he's it's fun to see him in this movie as this kind of semi-fading actor. Maybe it's a little bit of a play on his actual life. Yeah. Um, you know, in the early 50s, I think he was making... From what I can remember, was he making kind of like he might have been making cheapy westerns at this point? 
<laughs> as well. So it's kind of a little bit of a um, bring back, bring back Gilbert Rowland into more high class Hollywood affair, you know. Is, is yeah good in that way, but I know I enjoyed seeing him in this movie as well. But yes, Kirk Douglas does basically tell Gilbert Rowland, who is obviously his friend, to spend some time with Gloria Graham. And I do apologize, I'm not using any character names as always. You know me, I, yeah, I just yeah. go by actor. I'm sorry, I apologize <laughs> now. Kirk Douglas and Dick Powell have had a lovely time in this cabin together, right? Yeah, they've got a lot done. They're really accomplished. Um, the wife has not been making any interruptions. No, but phone he does admit. Calls. But he does admit he's missed her little interruptions. Yes. So he's excited to get home to see her. Well, what happens? Um, he actually sees a newspaper that says his wife is presumed dead yes and so a they... plane crash there was a plane yes. crash yes so they go to the scene and yes turns out his wife was on the plane with uh gaucho the actor friend and uh yeah they crashed and, and she died so not only have we now seen Kurt Douglas betray his director friend's trust by selling his script to somebody else betray his romantic interest trust by telling her he was giving her everything and then going around doing the exact opposite of that. Yeah. He has now took his screenwriter somewhere where they could actually do some work because of his own selfish interest, not just allowing his screenwriter to do the work in his own time and indirectly causing the death of his wife of his wife and it makes it look like she was having some affair as well it does make it look like that she wasn't i don't think there's any indication no but to the public to the press it does look like that yeah um which again i suppose it's this thing of legacy isn't it the legacy of their relationship is now she went off and had this sordid affair that ended up in a plane crash. Yeah. Which is, is ruins Dick Powell's personal reputation, I suppose, at that point. Or not, not ruins his personal reputation, but puts a, a really kind of nasty cloud over him. Yeah. That, is, that isn't true, that isn't, you know, that has no indication of being true to what we actually see. But we now understand why at the very beginning of the movie, Dick Powell told Jonathan Shields to drop dead. Yeah. Because he, yes, he, why would he want anything to do with him after this? After This that. is the interesting structure of this movie. This Well, yes, I mean, fashion. but at this point, he now, you know, Kirk Douglas is like, well, now I can use this, he, you know. I, he can delve into work. He can keep writing, and even He's like the writer, the writer in his narration of his kind of flashback is like, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't think I could have gotten through those months without Jonathan. He helped. Well, yes, to, that is true. He helped me delve into work and focus on that, and you know, 
so he kind of saw Jonathan as this support and it wasn't until Jonathan kind of let it slip that oh you know Gaucho always so flashy I told him not to take that plane and then he realizes what he said yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's it's a lot of slip-ups really isn't it I don't think Kirk Douglas would have actually come across as a bad person at all in this movie if he hadn't have yeah, just, just slipped every, up time. every time. Yeah. So then that's when the, the writer learns that Kirk Douglas had arranged for them to be on this, you know, together. And that's how his yeah. wife died. And so that's kind of what ended their whole thing. And kind of, and also that, I think that final story also explains why kind of no one will work for him again, because uh, the director that he actually gave Fred's movie to in, in Fred's kind of story was directing this film that he wanted to do and he kind of was nitpicking everything the director was doing so the director walks off and so now jonathan had to step up and direct it himself and they're watching jonathan's cut and it's very much boring and not good (laughs) yes jonathan thinks it's terrible himself and so he's like we gotta just shelve it and so everyone's telling him we can't, you know, we'll lose, we'll lose so, much, so money. much money. Yeah, the company will just go up, go under if you don't release. And he's like, Well, I'm not gonna put out something I think is bad, so shelve it. So that's kind of Fishness. Yes. So that's why nobody kind of will work with him again. And so he needs the three of them to to bounce back. They um, don't want essentially. to essentially Janine. They yes. just don't want so to. he gets on the call. He asks them again, and they're all kind of like, no, and they walk out. But then they hear him, you know, talking to Jonathan, and Jonathan's kind of explaining the big idea he has for this next picture. And Lena Turner kind of picks up the phone outside and starts listening to this pitch. And then the three of them kind of crowd around the phone, and they're all listening to the pitch. Yeah. And then the, that's kind of where the movie ends. Yeah. It's, it's left... It's left ambiguous. I like the fact it's left ambiguous. Yeah. I know the ending comes quite it was a little abrupt. Easy. Yes, but um, but I like yeah, it as an ending. Mm-hmm. I do like it as an ending because you know, there's this. It almost paints a, a mythical image, doesn't it, of the Hollywood movie producer who everybody hates, but everybody still works for because yes because he's just so charming and he's so good at what he does and you know he makes you passionate about whatever he's working on and and he brings out the best in you you know despite you know but then when you kind of take it to the personal on the professional level he's great but in the personal level that's kind of where they all he's the worst yes so now knowing what you know of this man do you think you can kind of now keep it professional and and like a win-win-win all around for everyone? Yeah. Or do you just, you know, do feel they carry like you'll, on you'll fall that? under his charm again and you just don't yeah. want to deal with it? Or you don't want to give him the satisfaction of, of giving him what he wants after how he treated you on a personal level? So it's like all of these factors kind of for you to think about as a viewer. Like, do you think, what would you do in that circumstance? You're listening to the phone, you're hearing this pitch. Are you intrigued? Would you do it? Would you not do it? Would you just be petty? Would you be spiteful? Um, is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? So it's like your yeah, mind. Yeah, kind you, of you have gone on to have of, this yeah. successful career anyway, but yes, you started on Jonathan's movies. Yes. You know, he, he did give you all your start. He was cruel to you. 
but at times he was your friend. Yeah. He's caused some really hurtful, you know, moments of your life to, to happen. But he has made you the person you are now. Is it worthwhile doing? Yeah. We don't get an answer. And we shouldn't get an answer. If we had have got an answer, I think the movie would have been a little too easy. I yeah. love, love, love the fact we are left ambiguous ambiguous at the like end that, yeah. of this thing. Yes, okay, you said the movie ends abruptly. And I suppose, that because there's no real downplay, is there? You kind of get out of Dick Powell's flashback and then have like a couple of minutes. Yeah, and then they're all listening on the phone, phone and then it just ends. It, it does end. Yeah. There's no downturn, really. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I really, really did enjoy this movie. Yes, no, me too. I'm glad you found it. Did you not just find this? Yes, well, like I talk something? about, yes, like I, I talk about how, you know, HBO has a whole Turner Classic movie section. So and kind of thinking about things to do for the show, I just kind of go there and just search things. Yeah. And I saw this, this image of Lana Turner kind of bathed in like a blue light is kind of like the, the image and I'm like, oh, okay, Lana Turner, what is this movie? I kind of read the description, this movie about kind of deception in the Hollywood kind of thing and, and movie making and working your way to the top and betrayals. And I'm like, oh, this sounds really interesting. So, yeah, just kind of in seeing Lana Turner, kind of this dark image of her um, and, and the title and yeah. reading kind of what it was about. I was very kind of intrigued by, um, by I this mean, movie. Considering this movie won five Oscars for 1952, I question why I haven't heard of this movie yes, before you brought like... it up. Um, it, yes, we've we've spoken about it. It won Gloria Graham. I, I, I really like Gloria Graham. It won her her Best Supporting Actress Oscar. Um, it Actually, I think... Another record that this movie holds is actually, I think, the most Oscars won by a movie that wasn't nominated for Best Picture. For best Picture, mm. um, which is 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 weird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but no, it's this is what's great about this show. This is what I love about this show is that we can find movies like this that are in their time. Huge movies, huge deal movies, big name movies, but might have been a little bit forgotten about. You know, yeah. I don't think this movie has a big Blu-ray release or something like that yeah. that, I, that I would see, that I would know about. But yeah, like I, I saw would... this cast. I'm like, this is a named cast. Like, It's an incredible cast. Mm -hmm. It's a great director in Vincente Minnelli. It's yeah. an, an Oscar-winning movie. But it may... But I had never heard of it, so... Mm -hmm. ...of being forgotten about. And these are the kind of movies we love to talk yes, about. On this definitely. show, we discover new old movies. We showcase them. We, we give them some celebration. And this is one that deserves all-round celebration. This is a brilliant movie. Yeah, it's great. This is a really, really good really movie. Really fun Seek structure. Yeah. The Bad and the Beautiful from 1952. It is wonderful. As one of these, you know, put it in a put it in a set of movies about movie making. Yeah, you know, we we spoke about double features uh, a couple of weeks ago on on 
one of the Monday shows, didn't we? Yeah. Like, put this in a double feature with Sunset Boulevard. That'd be a good double feature. It's all about Eve. With all know, about Eve. Kind of deception yeah. and, you know, making your way to the top. Or put it in with Singing in the Rain, like you said, and have ni- the 1952 happy, sad movie mission. <laughs> yeah. You could do yeah. that. That sounds good, doesn't it? I like yeah. I like the idea of that. I suppose very different times, although the Singing in the Rain is obviously about a very specific time period. Yeah. This movie's not really. Um but no, I really enjoyed this movie. Thank you for finding this movie. Jenny. Yes, of course. Wonderful mm. stuff. <laughs> Anything else you wanted to say about the bad and the beautiful? I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really interesting, structured film. And, uh, um, yeah, it was a nice little treat, nice little surprise. Yes. Well, this show, the main show, It's a Wonderful Podcast, is not the only show we have on this podcast feed, is it, Janine? No, of course, we have our Monday show, Monday Madness, with Morgan and the Machine, where we just kick back, chill, have good conversation, talk about things we enjoy, typically fun movie stuff, play games. So you can find that on this very podcast feed or our It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel. YouTube channel also has some fun stuff on there, videos from Morgan and I, movie reviews, um, movie collection hauls, watch-alongs. Uh, retro trailer reactions all kinds of stuff so like share and subscribe over there on the youtube channel or listen to the show right here on the feed and of course also on the feed we have morgan hasn't seen every wednesday where i force morgan to watch things he hasn't seen right now we are talking spielberg movies morgan hasn't seen so that's been fun as it has Always a fun time on all the shows. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered here on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Amazon Music, and everywhere else. We spoke about the Patreon before, and as Janine alluded to, the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel for all that great stuff we have over there. Subscribe, ding your notification bells on that. You can find the show on Twitter, at It's a Wonderful One. Find me on Twitter at the Purple Dom with a three instead of the E in the because, Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram at the Purple Dom. All your bad and beautiful stuff is well. <laughs> you can find me at Janine Debean underscore on Twitter, Janine Debean on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, you can find that at our Teespring shop just search uh it's a wonderful podcast on teespring.com and if you want to purchase any of my art and print from you can find that at my big cartel shop g9design.bigcartel.com could you do a an impression of gloria graham doing an impression of a sullen bell for me oh my gosh that's too many layers uh three two one bye